Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in this series, we've seen the establishment of Jesus' identity as the Son of God and the beginning of his earthly ministry. We've studied his teaching as he has taught through parables, sermons, and daily life with his disciples. And we've seen his miraculous power over nature, sin, sickness, and spiritual darkness. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We'd love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead, open up the Hope Church LV app or visit us at hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. Take your Bibles. We're going to be continuing this week in our study through the book of Mark. We're going to start, we're going to end chapter 8, but we're going to start today reading a verse Pastor Scott read last week. So go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will. Mark chapter 8, turn it to verse 34. But as we begin today, I just want us to pray together for just a, a moment, and I want it to be a prayer that you pray to the Lord. I will say something at the end when I think that you're finished, but I just want us to pray together for a second and ask God to speak to us, all right? So let's bow our heads. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Say, Lord, I'm listening. My ears are open. My brain, my mind is open. My heart is open. And Lord, now I pray that you would open your mouth and speak to me. I'm listening. Lord, if there's anything else that we need today greater than this, it would just be your coming. Your coming would supersede anything else we need today other than you and hearing from you. So God, today as we begin to read, I pray that what you would teach us, Lord, is that your word is real and true. And it's not just good for us, it's a necessity for us. So Lord, speak to us, we're listening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to begin with this one verse that Pastor Scott taught, taught last week out of Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It'll be on the screen, but look at it with me in your Bibles, if you will, or there on your phone. The Bible says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I don't know if you know this, but in two other, in uh, uh, Matthew and also in Luke, this same verse is there. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Luke records almost the same exact wording, except he adds one word. And it's the word daily, and Pastor Scott talked about this. Take up your cross daily. But what I want you to know and what I want to encourage you with today and hope that God does the same for you, it was actually this verse that God used in my life to lovingly woo me to desire to grow in my relationship with him. I was saved when I was 11 years old, but when I was 25 years old, God used this in my life, 20, excuse me, 27 years old, God used this in my life to woo me, to understand that I needed to go deeper in my relationship with him. In fact, not just deeper, I needed to begin to grow in my relationship with him. 
1995, when I was just living my life, I was newly married. We had just started our family, and we were attending services at a church back in my hometown. Our pastor there pulled me aside after one of the services, and he asked me if I wanted to meet with him in, a, in an accountability group. And to be honest with you, I don't even know what that was. I just knew he was the pastor, and it was pretty cool, and I thought he probably wasn't asking a lot of people. Plus, you know, there, was, there would possibly be biscuits there. Maybe. So I said yes. What it really was, though, was the beginning of someone discipling me. Discipling me in my walk with Jesus, a daily thing. That was the daily part. It's, it's like God took Luke 9.23 and meshed me together with this man, and God began to disciple me through him. Yeah, I was a Jesus follower, but the truth is, and maybe this is you today, I don't know, I was a very nominal Jesus follower. You know what I mean? Like there were basically a, a couple of things that I did. One of them was, some of you might know this, Sunday school, which is not just for kids, by the way. It's like a Bible study. So I was attending that, and I was coming to every service that we had. So I was involved, kinda, and there wasn't really anything wrong with that, I guess. But you know what I didn't know? Teddy, I had no idea how much I was missing out on that my relationship with God was so much deeper than that. And the man that I'm talking about was one of the men that started this church. His name is Pastor Vance. He explained to me that following Jesus was simple, but it wouldn't be easy, and in fact, following Jesus would cost me something. He said it wouldn't always be nice and cuddly and that there would be bumps along the way, but that it would be worth it and that I'd never regret it. And you know what? He was right. He was exactly right. What I found out, though, is that following Jesus is an extreme call. Maybe that's not what you thought it was, that it's more religious and it's more about doing and showing up and maybe picking up the Bible. But what I found out was it was extreme. It would make me change a lot of stuff in my life. It's not a if-I-feel-like-it kind of call. It's extreme. It's extreme. There's lots of places in the scripture we would actually see this if we took the time today. The choice I had then and the choice I still have today is to be either all in, which means go in head first into what this Christianity is, giving up my life, giving it to God, letting God be the master of who I was. And if he said go, I, I went. Or I could kind of be all in, kind of in, if you will, just Am I a Jesus follower? Absolutely. Would I ever go on a mission trip? You better believe never. <laughs> scary place out there. As if we don't live in a scary place. It's called the world. Or maybe you're not all in and maybe you're not even kind of in. You're not a Jesus follower at all. You're not in at all. But it is our choice, right? God offers this salvation to us. He gives us his gospel. We hear it over and over and over. And we can either be people who say, you know what, whatever he says, wherever he says go, whatever he says do, I'm in. Or we can be somebody like I was, very nominal, that I love Jesus. If you asked me the question, I would have said yes. Did I know him well? Not at all. I knew who he was. I could tell you his name. 
And I haven't always been the child of God I wanted to be, but I'm sure not who I was. Still very disappointed in myself sometimes, but I want to ask you this. How about you? What's your Christianity like? Would you say that you're all in in your faith? How would you describe your relationship with God? Or do you have one at all? Is Christianity a part of your life? It's a piece of the pie? Or is it the whole pie? And this describes every one of us, doesn't it? We're either all in, we're kind of in, and we're not in at all. And what a patient God we have. What a patient God we have to allow us the time to get to know him. And at the same time, what are we missing out on? You see, while Jesus completely knows what our relationship with him is, there's only one way to describe how we, how can, we, how we can begin to or even continue to be as Jesus' follower. And, and, and here's what it is. Deny, die, and follow. <laughs> Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. And that's what Pastor Scott taught us last week. But the rest of this passage jumps right off of what that one verse says. You, said when, you see, when Jesus said this to his followers that day, this all-in way of following him seemed, what I just explained as well, extreme to them. And what we see next is Jesus giving them the rationale or giving them the reasons, if you will, behind why denying self, why dying to self, and why following him was the only wise decision that can be made. So here's what we see. We see four reasons, and we'll look at them here in just a second. But let's read together Mark chapter 8. I'll start again in verse 34. And we're actually going to go through the end of the chapter and the first verse of, of chapter 9. So let's read it together. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. This is God's word. So let's look together at these four reasons of rationale. Reason number one, the only way to save my life is to lose my life. Look at verse 35 again. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus mentions three words twice here in the same sentence. Save, lose, and life. You see it there? Save, lose, and life. And he switches them around a little bit, but he says, whoever would, whoever, who is that? You ain't got to know Greek to know this. Everybody, anybody, no matter who they are, race, affluence, culture, education, doesn't matter, whoever. And then he uses the word would, which in our language is a very eh, nominal word, if you will. But the best way to translate this word may not be would, it's wish or desire or want to. In other words, whoever wants to do this, whoever desires 
to do this. To do what? This is, this is <clears throat> excuse me, this word is a, is a present tense word. Here's what it means. What do you want, listen to me close, right now? Not what you wanted 10 years ago when you gave your life to Jesus. Not five years from now when you get your life together. Not next week when things look a little bit less grim. What do you want right now? He said, whoever would, and then he tells us the second part of this, wants to save, he says. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to salvage or rescue right now, whoever wants to do that, he says in the future, will lose his life. Wait a minute. I want to save it, but I'm going to be the one losing it? Like, because, is it because I'm trying to save my life that I'm going to lose it? Yes. God isn't asking us to save our lives. Praise God. It's all I can do to keep the yard looking good. <laughs> to lose means to give up, to let go, to turn loose. When Jesus said, lose your life, he's not saying physically here. He's saying, Give up your life. Let it go. Turn it loose. Quit hanging on so tightly to the physical life, to the, to, to, to the, to the uh, sinful life that we have here. Uh, and listen, here's, here's what I can tell you. Our lives will be given up for something. We will lose our lives. We will give it up. We will let it go for something. It'll either be for the things of this world, religiosity, materialism, status, position, or it'll be for God. That's what he's saying. Anyone who tries saving their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, he says, for my sake, will save it. Do you hear the irony? Do you hear it? When I work to save my life, it'll be in vain and I'll lose it. But when I willingly give up my life and let him have it, he'll save it. It couldn't get any easier. That's the cliff notes. That's the easy part. I think the best way to understand this, though, maybe a way that would help us to understand it, would to be, under, would to, would to be explained to you that the word life in the original language were three different words. It was, there was a word where we get our word biology from, is the word bios, and it literally was physical life. That's not the one he used here. There's another word that's used. It's, it's used more infrequently. It's the word zoe. It is used, though. That's eternal life. It's usually used when Jesus talked about himself and the, 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 the life that was to come. And that's also not the word that was used here, even though it fits kind of good and perfectly. He actually used the word suke. Suke, the soul life. This is the word that's used here. Suke was interchanged, though, sometimes between soul life and physical life to help us to see it. But for the most part, it, it just meant soul. Because of the context of this passage, we know that Jesus is referring to both our present and our future life, the one that we let go of, the present life, but the future life for eternity. And listen to me, every soul that has ever been created has a future life. I'll get into that in just a minute. But when we hear life, we instantly think only of physical life, don't we? The life that we're currently living, the one that we have right now. But when they heard the word suke, he didn't, when he didn't use the word Bios, 
They knew exactly what he was talking about. You see, they all believed in the afterlife. They all believed in the life to come in eternity. The way to get there, they thought, was by doing religious things, sacrificing animals, washing their hands the right way, not doing certain things that they shouldn't do, legalism, in other words. There are, there are Christians today, some may be in this room, who still think the same thing. When I do all the stuff and I don't do all the other stuff, God's pleased with me and that's how he's going to let me in because there's this scale and God is weighing my, my good and my bad and hopefully my good will outweigh my bad, but that's not how it works. God is not asking for that. Remember just a few verses earlier in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, same chapter, I preached it just a few weeks ago, Jesus was very clear with the disciples and those who were trying to follow him, watch out for the Pharisees. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In Mark chapter 3, he, he, when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, they're all ticked off about it. In Mark chapter 7, uh, the first 13 verses, we see the Pharisees distraught because the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. You say, Tom, why do you bring that up? Because they were trying to do things to get to him, and they understood the way I get my soul into heaven, into eternity, was by doing all these things. And Jesus said, here's the deal. You try to save your life, you'll lose it. You think all these things are what's going to do that? Jesus was reminding them, good works will not save your life. He wanted them to see that he was the only way to God. And like us, many of them, liked the lifestyle, no matter what it looked like, that they had. But it would all be for naught. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our generation? What does this mean for the time that we're living in? Same exact thing. We cannot work our way to God. And we cannot hang on to the life that we have here thinking that that will help us in eternity. I mean, think about it. What do you believe happens when we die? In this life, what will happen? And, and here's the thing. I hate to break this to everybody. We're all going to die. I don't know if that's news. That's new. Nobody's looking forward to death. That's opposite of who God is. But to be able to be in eternity, this has to go away. Since, since this is true, what sense does it make? Like, Think about it logically for a minute that we would trade what's eternal for what's temporal. There's an eternal world that we all will live in, but we are giving up life with God for what is a temporal to hang on to this because this life's going to end. Here's a truth for us today. Our desire to the present life or lifestyle we have now means that we will lose the life God desires for us in eternity. Listen, whether it's love for our current lifestyle or our nominal faith, or maybe it's because we think we can work our way to God, maybe it's because there's an unbelief in God altogether. Jesus' aim was to say, don't hang on to whatever it is you're hanging on to. It'll be of no profit to you. It'll be of no worth. It'll be of no value. So what are we hanging on to? What are you hanging on to? Why won't you give your life to God? Why won't you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him? Jesus basically says there is another way. Instead of desiring to save your life, lose it, give it up, surrender it, release it. 
Why would you even try? Why would I even try to save my life? There's only one way to save it. Let it go. Give it to God. We just can't follow him without denying and dying to ourselves. And like I said just a minute ago, we're all losing our life to something, aren't we? All of us are following something. When I willingly lose my life, ironically, I save it. But when I desire to save my life, unfortunately, I'll lose it. And by lose it here, I want to make just a point of clarity, if I could. I don't mean physically. God's not asking us to commit suicide or to kill others. He's not saying die in this life. He's saying forget the life you have. And I'm also not talking about eternal life. God is not asking us to lose our salvation. Or, or, or if we don't, we can lose our salvation. 1 John 5.13 says, you may know that you have it. The soul that is saved is only saved by God. What's my part? Surrender. Give up. Let go. What's my part in growing? Save up. Surrender. Let go. God is dependable. He's going to do whatever he promises. Amen. He's not asking us to do more. He's actually asking us to do less. He's saying to do nothing to gain your salvation and let him do it all. What a great trade. Here's the last truth in this section. The only way to save my life is to surrender my life to him. The only way to save it. And here's the irony. He says that that is the way you save it. Give it up. So in recap, the only way to save my life is to lose it. Reason number two. My soul is worth more than the value of the whole world. My soul is worth more than the value of the whole world. Verse 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, what good is it? What sense does it make? This this phrase, for what does it profit? What What help, what aid, what benefit is it for me? In the end, when we look back, here's the question we would ask. Was it worth it to try to save my soul? What Did it profit me to do just that? Because I I went for the whole world? What does it profit, he says, to gain the whole world? This word, to gain, means exactly what you think it means. It means to amass or to obtain or to acquire. The whole world. uh, In other words, if you get everything. I mean, think about it. Some of us are just trying to get like uh, 0.15 acres somewhere in Las Vegas to have a house. He said, what if you got everything? Have you ever researched how much the whole earth is worth? Like, I know that seems difficult and a little bit far-fetched, but if you Google it, there's actually an answer because I think they have an answer for everything. (laughs) Except for, is is Jesus the Son of God? That that one kind of, you know, but anyway. I Googled it. Not the other planets. Think about it for a second. Not the galaxies, not the planets. Not all the stars, all the billions of them. Just the earth itself and everything that it contains. Just that. Here's the estimate. Five quadrillion. Just a little bit more than my bank account. (laughs) Five quadrillion, just to bring it down a little bit. That's like a million, a billion times. That's one million dollars. Actually, five billion times. One million dollars, five billion times. Here's the truth. One soul, one life is worth more than the whole world. He just said, what does it profit to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Listen, I don't know who you are here today, 
Maybe you've been told you're of no value. Maybe you've been told by yourself that you're of no value. Maybe nobody has loved you like you should have been loved. But here's what God says. That the entire earth and everything that's in it isn't as valuable as your one soul. Does that tell us something? That God died for the 8 billion that are now, but the, but the other whatever billions there were that he's also created? And he said the earth and everything that it contains is not as worth as much as that. He said, what does it, I mean like, when, when we think about it, what does that say about Jesus? What does Jesus say happens next, though, when we try to acquire everything in this life, whether it's little or much over our soul? He says we forfeit it. The rest of that verse, forfeit. To forfeit means to have access to something, but to decide to let it go, to suffer loss. I don't know how, how many of you ever played sports before. Did you ever play on a sports team, though, whether it was when you were small or when you were or high school or maybe college, and you had to forfeit the game? Do you remember that? There was, there was this time that somebody on our team, I won't say who, forgot their uniform, and you couldn't go out without a uniform. In those days, you know, you couldn't just get out there in your jeans and your, you know, your 70s T-shirt. We had to forfeit the game because we only had eight players. You know what that meant? We gave up. Here's what we said. You win. God says when we do that, we give up. We say, devil, have whatever you would like. God, sorry, we are giving up. We have tried to profit everything else, but we have forfeited our souls. The thing that's the most expensive, the most important, the most valuable, we give up. And God says, but you don't have to do that. The soul that is forfeited will live in eternity in the fire of hell, suffering for all eternity. And, and, and let me say this, live, not die there. Some people say, but when people go to hell, don't they just not exist, Pastor Tom? Isn't that right? No, no, no. People live there. As much as those who are in Christ live in eternity with God in a place that's called heaven, those who are separated from God live also in a place, live in a place called hell. There are a couple of quotes I remember. I was taking notes a few years ago and and I, I remembered these quotes the other day, and I said, I've got to share this with our people. Thomas Watson said this about hell. He said, thus it is in hell, they would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall always be dying, but never dead. Then George Whitfield goes in a little bit deeper, and he says, burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which people will realize they are no closer to the end than when they began. Never, ever to be delivered from that place. God did not create our souls to live apart from him. But in focusing on obtaining and acquiring whatever we want on the earth, we lose our souls for eternity. How silly would that be? When God places it on a platter right before you and says, accept me, that's all. Most humans, including many of us in this room, are selling our souls for far less than the value of this world, though. Isn't that true? 
We can focus either on dying to self or living for self. We can work on gaining more of this life and all that it has, or we can get it in eternity with God. But there's a price to pay, and to have it all here means we forfeit it for our eternity. Our souls are worth so much more than anything else in this world, and the evil one will offer whatever that cost is or that ever, whatever that thing is that you want. So here's some reasons. The second reason to deny, die, and follow. Number one, the only way to save my life is to lose it. Number two, another reason you should do this is because my soul is worth far more than the value of this world. But number three, it's impossible to regain my soul once it's lost. The soul cannot be regained once it's lost. Look at verse 36. For what can a man give in return for his soul? In other words, when I lose my soul, how do I get it back? How do I regain it? Like, do all the do's, don't all the don'ts, wash my hands the right way, sacrifice animals for sin, sacrifice my money for sin, sacrifice myself for, for, for it. Don't heal on the Sabbath. I can't do that. What can I do on the Sabbath? What can I not do? Here's what Jesus' question was. How many Jewish laws Will you have to perform perfectly over and over and over and over to get back your soul? And simply put, once it's gone, it's gone forever. See, y'all think I like preaching this sermon. This is rough. But you got friends that don't know Jesus. You got relatives that don't know him. You might not know him. It's like there's a fire in your house and I'm trying to tell you to get out and you don't smell the smoke. There is no, here's a truth for us today, there is no equivalent that exists on earth that can be exchanged for the human soul once it's lost. So what can be given in return for the soul in eternity? Nothing, not one thing. Once it's gone, it is lost forever. So there's only one way to save my life, and it's to lose it. My soul's worth more than the value of the whole world. It's impossible to regain my soul once I lose it. And then reason number four, who we deny, die, and follow determines our eternity. Verse 37, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Notice he says here, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. This word ashamed means to be reluctant to do something through fear of embarrassment or through fear of humiliation. Notice Jesus here also doesn't separate himself from his words. He says, whoever's ashamed, doesn't he say this, of me and my words. Many want a savior, but not many want what he has said. Many people want to be a Jesus follower, but really don't care what the Bible has to say and how it affects them. I know because that used to be me. But Jesus said, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, but what are his words? Is it, is it the whole Bible? Maybe it's what he just has said. I mean, why would we be ashamed of him? Our first instinct, I think, is to say we wouldn't be. Like, how could followers of Jesus be ashamed? Let me give you just a perfect example to help you here. You remember when you were little? And your mom and your dad or your mom or your dad or your, or, or your caregiver or your grandparents or whoever, maybe it's your big brother or sister, they'd take you to elementary school and like you were so proud with them, right? You had your little backpack on, you remember? You know, a little lunchbox. Had your lunch money stuffed deep in your pocket. Hoarder back then, you know what I'm saying? 
Mom would walk you in, and you're so proud. It's my mama. Mama. You'd even let her kiss you. You're so proud. You'd kiss her back. Then something happened, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. You remember that? Then you start going, I don't know who these folks are. <laughs> these people, not a clue. They are weird. You remember that? Some of you would have your parents drop you off like two blocks from the school so you could just walk. <laughs> That's what shame looks like, isn't it? They were ashamed. But you know, in the scripture, Peter denied Jesus three times. Does that mean Peter wasn't a child of God? No, because shame in the moment doesn't have to be shame tomorrow, praise God. And this isn't the shame that Jesus is talking about. Peter preached the day of Pentecost, and thousands were saved, and he didn't mince words. Here's what he said. He said, every one of you repent and be baptized. He didn't ask the question. He commanded them to do it, and they actually did it. So we know he wasn't ashamed, totally. Jesus' plain admonition was this. For those who are ashamed of me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the last days. Again, this isn't an allusion to the loftier of your salvation. The ashamed here is used in the context that these folks were never saved. So let's look at Jesus' statement about being ashamed from this angle, maybe. Look at verse 34 again. I'm not going to have it on the screen, but look at it again. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What if being ashamed of him was the opposite of whatever that was. What was that? Jesus was saying, instead of denying myself, being ashamed of him means that I deny him. That's what shame looks like. Instead of dying to self, being ashamed of him means that I live for myself. And instead of following Jesus, being ashamed of him isn't simply not following him well, it means that I turn away from him. Jesus looked at them, at them and he said, whoever's ashamed, listen to me, of what I just said. If you're not willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, it means you're doing the opposite of that. Jesus being ashamed of us sounds like the opposite of loving him. So it makes sense that the reason he's ashamed of us is because we're ashamed of him. He's ashamed of the decision that we make not to follow him, not to give up our life for him, not to think that he wants us to go deeper in him or for him. Here's the truth. When we're ashamed of him, we leave him no choice but for him to be ashamed of us. He never forces us to deny and die and follow him. He invites us to this. I will either deny myself or I'll deny Jesus. I will die for myself or I will live for myself. I will either... Follow him or I'll turn away from him. That's why he said, anyone who's ashamed of me and my words. But can I say this? We don't have to lose our lives for eternity because Jesus then mentions when he would be ashamed. He said, when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. You notice that Jesus didn't say, I'm ashamed of you right now for being ashamed of me? You notice that? He said, when I'm going to be ashamed of you is when I come back, the second coming. Jesus is coming back, amen? 
And listen, he'll have no choice but to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So what are the reasons I should deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? Because the only way to save my life is to lose it. Because my soul is worth more than the value of the whole world. Because it's impossible to regain my soul once I lose it. And because who I deny, die, and follow determines the eternity that I will have. These are the four reasons. I'm sure those who were standing there probably were like, whew, that's extreme. That's, never heard that before, Jesus. So here's what he does. In the other gospels, they actually use this verse at the end of the chapters, but in Mark, he puts it as the beginning, maybe as a sign to why he puts it at the beginning to go with the rest of the context of chapter nine. But look what it says. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. And to be honest, we just don't even know what this means. Sorry. Yep, my bad. But I mean, I gotta be honest, like I can make some stuff up, but there are some really deep theologians. They don't either. Everybody kind of disagrees. There are lots of different thoughts. Some believe this is Jesus talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Some believe it's about the church coming to earth. It's, uh, some believe that, that it's a reference to the transfiguration that we're going to study ne next week. And we are going to study it next week. Pastor Ricky's going to teach us. And, and maybe that is what it's about. I have a tendency to believe that may be it. Others have different views. But to be honest, nobody really knows for certain. But after hearing of what coming to God really meant, being all in, if you will, the disciples may have felt like you may be feeling at the moment. Man, those four things are heavy. Those are some heavy stuff. They were overwhelmed by the extent to which Jesus sees our relationship with him. Luke gives us a little bit more insight in his rendering of this story by using the word but at the beginning of this verse, which means he's contrasting what he's just said with what he's about to say, but I'm not sure that's it either. He uses the word here, to say, just be all in. Are we? You see, what we believe about this verse is that those who place their faith, their life in God, have no reason to fear the loss of life or lifestyle that Jesus taught about. I, I promise you, every Jesus follower in here, when we talk about things like this, when I showed you that thing on hell, it grips our soul, but the truth is, is it doesn't make us scared. You notice that? It makes us sad for those who don't know, but it's not scary to us. You see, he wanted to encourage them that denying and dying themselves and following him would be costly to their flesh, but would be totally worth it in eternity. And then Mark tells us in the next chapter just that. He says six days later, Peter, James, and John would see Jesus like they'd never seen him before. You can come back and woo. I won't preach that message, but go, but come back and hear it. So with that said, some of you may still be saying, Tom, that's what you think this passage says. But it's not what I think. Okay. What do you think it says? Our God's offering something so amazing. And I'm not just talking about salvation. Our God's offering a life that you will miss out on if you don't deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. 
doing something that you're not doing, following him and everything. And it's clear the way to follow Jesus is a call from Jesus to do just that. It'll be costly, but are you all in? Jim Elliott said this. Jim Elliott was a, um, was a missionary. He was actually, he worked for a petroleum company out of Oklahoma or Texas or somewhere in there. And, and he found out about a people group that lived in Ecuador that had never been approached with the gospel. And he got some of his, of his Christian friends together and they flew, he, he got an airplane and they flew down, they landed on the beach and they were sharing the gospel for two straight weeks and they were doing everything they could to just try to get this to the people and knew, knew that probably this week or two wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be a, a super impactful during that time, but they thought, man, God's gonna use this. And if some of you who know the story about Jim Elliott know that two weeks after he got there, he was murdered on the beach that he landed on. You know what Jim Elliott did? He denied himself, he took up the cross, and he followed Jesus. Jim Elliott, when he passed away, they, his wife had his journals, and this was one of the quotes that came from the journal he, he had written in. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I cannot keep this, so I'm willing to lose this. Would that describe you? So here's our invitation today. Christianity is simple, right? But it's not easy. It's an extreme ask, actually. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's it. Forget self, follow him. Follow what he said. Jesus said in John 12, 25, whoever loses his life, excuse me, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's what I found. Most of us love, really love our life. Jesus here is asking us to deny and die to ourselves by hating the sin that plagues our lives and makes us think that what we think and how we behave like we behave is okay. Denying and dying means hating the life our flesh depends upon and denying ourselves and dying to ourselves, and as Luke said, daily. It means being all in and extreme and following Jesus with everything that we are and have. Denying and dying means putting off the old life and walking like the new creation that God has made us to be if we're followers of his. It means that we choose to stop sinning, hating our sin, and loving those around us like God does. Denying and dying means we must stop trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in God and seeing no sin as small or insignificant. So we gotta stop lying and cheating and stealing and instead love what he loves and hate what he hates. Nominal Christianity is not Christianity. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, will you repent and come to him? by denying yourself and placing yourself on the altar and dying to self and following him. But maybe you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe it's the hundredth time you've heard it. Follow him by surrendering your life to him. He'll tell you everything else later. It's simple, but it's gonna seem hard. The devil is a liar. He wants you to believe the things are, that these things are not true, but God's word is true. It's right and it's holy. And here's what he says in 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, if we do, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever repented and confessed? 
Some of us today just need to be right with God. We need to say, Lord, I've, I've said I would deny and die to myself and follow you. But God, I keep picking myself back up. Listen, you're still a Jesus follower if you've ever been a Jesus follower. You didn't lose it. But just a fresh and anew today, say, Lord, I'm gonna go where you say go. I'm gonna say what you say say. I'm gonna be who you want me to be. I'm gonna be all in for you. I don't wanna be nominal half in. But if you don't know him today, those quotes on hell aren't just men's opinion. You will spend eternity there. Not yucking it up with your friends. Not laughing and talking. But it'll be the loneliest you've ever been. In the most terrible place. And you know what the worst part of it is? Not that there's fire. Not that it's smelly and noisy. But that God's not there. That's the worst part. Lord, thank you for your grace today. I pray, Lord, that what you would give us is a semblance of what you have meant in your word. Help us to see you for who you are and us for who we are. Our pastors are gonna come now. We're gonna sing a song. And I would, I would encourage you and implore you, just stay in here and sing with us. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, stay with us. Stay and pray. If you'd like to come and just kind of publicly but silently make a, a declaration that I just want to be what God wants me to be. I'm already a follower of Jesus, but I just... This altar's open if you'd like to come and just ask God. Pour yourself on it, on him. But if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, it's true. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We can help you today. Just come down here and say, I need Jesus. Say, I want to give my life to him. We will help you to do that today. So let's all stand together. Let's sing together. Let's do business with God and do what he wants us to do. We pray these things.